the reign of God today, I wanted to share with you a beautiful, beautiful book that was written by Father Benedict Groeschel, a Capuchin friar. The book is titled The Reform of Renewal. I'm going to start to go into this very quickly because there's a lot to cover. In chapter 2, page 29, um, there were highlighted um, paragraphs. And um, a very dear friend of mine, Alan, was very kind in lending me this book. He said it was just an excellent book to reflect upon, and I have to agree with you, Alan. It was one of the better books. And um, I did enjoy going through all of your highlights, more than actually reading the book in its entirety. But I do want to recommend the book to all my podcasters for those that are seeking to enrich their faith. It's a beautiful book. Okay, getting back into the book. We affirm a much forgotten truth. Many, the importance of ethical convictions and moral living for believers. As we have already seen, repentance and conversion are not a single decision, a single act, but rather the work of a lifetime. And I think most Christians can agree with that. We spend our entire life trying to figure out who we are, where we've been, where we're heading. And we have to look at ourselves. We have to understand ourselves better in order to live, truly live, the life that we're meant to live. The Gospels are not simply classical literature containing a perennial meaning like the word of Dante or Shakespeare. Steps in ongoing conversion on page 55. Gain self-awareness, plan a strategy, learn to cope, ensure that you are doing has a solid foundation. So we reflect upon our self-awareness, we create the strategy, we learn to cope, and we ensure what we are doing has a solid foundation. That's another important point we need to look at. On page 69, the conversion of the mind, we see this when Jesus Christ walked around the base of the very same mountain to the praetorium, then to the house of the high priest, and finally to his death on Calvary. If you are ever in need of any proof that the intellect must be led in the darkness and conflict by the mysteries of the living God, Remember the two scenes of sacrifice that took place in the same spot, Abraham and Jesus on Mount Moriah, which later became Mount Zion with its little hill of Calvary. Conversion of the eye, page 128 and 129. Charity, which in Greek is agape, is often translated by the word love. Charity means a love that needs to cherish to put a great value on what is loved, to sacrifice for it. Man may be said to love God or to love his family. In the true sense of agape or charity, we cannot 
be said to make our motive the fulfillment of our desires, but rather the good of that which we cherish. So if we say we love music or money, that is not charity or agape, but something different. It is a kind of eros. This is a love that fulfills our desire. Eros is not always evil by any means. It flows from human need. But when eros gets out of control, when it dominates, then it becomes hopelessly self-centered and consequently very dangerous. Eros is at its best and worst fulfillment of desire or any need. It can be a need for what is passing or for what is eternal. The love about which Jesus is speaking does not cancel out human need, nor does it condemn eros in all its forms. Page 130, when Jesus speaks of love, he almost always means agape, the love that seeks the good of another. The love and generosity of giving in Jesus' teaching, the giving of self, is the essence of the love called agape, or charity. Mark chapter 8, verses 34, charity must be accompanied sooner or later by pain and loss, by self-sacrifice. I don't think we sacrifice enough personally for our neighbor, and we need to do this, my brothers and sisters. Page 131, conversion of ego. I don't go to church because I don't get anything out of it. Why should I pray? God knows I try to be good, that I love him. These often heard comments reflect the kind of thinking that is absolutely out of harmony with the teachings of Jesus about love of God. Jesus teaches that we must love God above all things for himself with agape, even though a fulfillment of our need for his part of our love. And isn't that beautifully stated by Father Benedict Gauchel? He really has a way of putting into perspective our weaknesses. And then he gives us the anecdote to overcome it. He goes on to write, even when Jesus speaks about prayer of intercession for our daily needs, he demands a form of agape called trust. We seldom think of it, but the greatest act of worship for the Christian is to trust God. The religion of Jesus is one not only of trust, but also of obedience, a form of agape. His love and death are a single total act of obedience to God. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. That's from the book of John, chapter 14, 31. Father Benedict Rochelle also goes on to share with us Jesus' martyr, Rabbi Akiba. He was flayed alive with iron combs, realizing it was time to pray the ancient prayer called Shema while he still had life in him. How profound is that? Christians give in two ways until it hurts and when our neighbor's needs call for it. Page 136, 
Have we been lulled into thinking that the duty of charity is just a little extra responsibility of our life that we may or may not choose to do? The great obstacles to charity in our time is materialism. Page 137, a true Catholic reformer is a person seeking to love God and neighbor without regard to personal fulfillment or need. You see that, my brothers and sisters? He's trying to guide us to take ourselves out of the equation and putting others before us. Now that's how we truly walk with Jesus Christ. Page 142, the present situation. There are serious signs of imminent demise of many religious communities, reduced numbers and deeply shattered identities. They are actually dead, Father Benedict goes on to say, but like ancient olive trees, new life may grow out of the roots and preserve the appearance that the trees had been living for centuries. Smaller communities have fewer than a hundred members with strong families spirit, traditional values, clearly defined goals, and apostolates. Since the church's earliest days, the spiritual and the corporal works of mercy have been seen as the integral part of religious life. Page 172, the greatest obstacle to our doing an appointed task as disciples of Christ is fear. Page 187, what is needed very badly is reform in the church, not of the church. Jean-Pierre de Cossade, in his book titled Abandonment to Divine Providence, can be read with great personal profit, according to Father Benedict Groeschel. In Reform of the Church and Society, page 193, he shares with us the huge unyielding rock that shelters the soul from all storms in the divine will, which is always there, though hidden beneath the veils of trials and the most commonplace actions. Deep within those shadows is the hand of God to support and carry us to contemplate self-abandonment. And when a soul has arrived, at its sublime state, it need fear nothing which is said against it, for there is no longer anything for it to say or do in self-defense. Since it is the work of God, we must not try to justify it. Its effects and its consequences will vindicate it enough. There is nothing to be done, but let them unfold. If we no longer rely on our own ideas, we must try to defend ourselves within words, for words can only express our ideas. So no ideas, no words. What we would, what use would they be? To give reasons of our behavior? But we do not know these reasons, for they are hidden in the source of our actions and for the source we have received only influences we can neither describe or understand. So we must let the consequences justify themselves. Every link in the divine chain is unbreakable, and the meaning of what happened earlier is seen in the consequences which follow. The soul no longer lives in a world of thoughts or imaginations of endless words.
Now these no longer occupy it, neither do they nourish or sustain it. It no longer sees where it is going or where it will go. It dies no longer. It relies no longer on its own ideas to help it bear the weariness and difficulties of the journey. It carries on with a profound conviction of its own weakness. But with each step, the road widens and having started, the soul advances along with it without hesitation. It is innocent, simple, faithful, and follows the straight path of God's commandments, relying on him whom it meets continually along this path. And lastly, on page 209 in the epilogue, the first question in any examination of conscience by someone who has strong ideological position is, do I live up to my position? Am I a traditionalist who defends all traditions, whether I like it or not? Am I a liberal who is genuinely liberal even to those I disagree with? If I am a radical, do I really follow the radical ways of the gospel? And if I am moderate, does virtue for me lie in the middle or do I simply lie down in the middle aisle? Profoundly stated by this wonderful, wonderful author, Jean-Pierre de Cassade, in his book, Abandonment to Divine Providence. Yes, Father Benedict Rochelle, we can greatly personally benefit by reading his book. I want to close right now with thanking the Lord for bringing me here tonight, for deepening my faith, and really I have greatly enjoyed getting to know my Lord better. Through the great people he has placed in my path here in this town, in this church, in this community, I get to read their stories and reflect deeply upon them the greatest of all truths, and continue to form and mold my conscience into the likeness of my Lord, and most importantly, educate every one of you through your time that you invest in this podcast. All of this is for your soul, and I think God would greatly approve because I am following exactly what he wants for me for right now in my life, and I hope that you're doing the same in your daily life. God bless you.